Well, we're going to start a new series today. You guys ready? We're going to talk about the coming of the Lord. And we're going to take our time. I, I just think it's kind of cool that the Lord is stirring me to do this. Because, you know, four weeks from today, we celebrate the coming of our Lord the first time. We're celebrating the fact that he entered during Passover in probably around A.D. 30. It could be as late as A.D. 32. Right in that area. And he literally redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was crucified and he raised from the dead. And I mean, this is a time. The gospel is this. The gospel is Jesus came to this earth and took your place. He died for your sins, literally so that you could know him and be born again. The gospel message is not, if you don't turn and stop sinning, you're going to burn in hell. That is not the gospel message. That is not good news to somebody who's perishing because they think that's ridiculous. Right? The gospel is that Jesus took your place. Aren't you glad he took your place? Aren't you glad that you can walk in this earth knowing God? Well, we want to talk about it because the Bible says so much. I want you all to uh, be able to rightly divide these scriptures. And we might even look a little bit at the book of Revelation, especially focusing on chapter 4. You know, because in John's vision, there's some really cool things right at the beginning. So let's get into this. You guys ready? We'll have some fun. And I want to encourage you, if you have friends that, uh, if, if they go to another church, man, ha- tell them, get on our app, get online, and listen to these messages. It'll bless them. End time teaching, you know, for years, people have been scared of it. But not only is it not to scare you, It is to comfort you. It is to excite you. I mean, do you realize that you are about to see your king face to face? We're we're that close, guys. It's amazing. Well, the reason this is going on for me is I, I can't seem to get away from the fact from the reality that Jesus is coming back, that he's returning for his church. This is like a continuous run-on sermon that's going on on the inside of me. You know, when I preach, I, I mention it probably almost every service. We're at the end of the church age. We're about to see our king. That That is not something that I plan. It's just something that's always overflowing. When I go throughout my day, I'm like, wow, I'm about to meet my king. You know, with all the crazy stuff going on in the world, I could tell you that that eclipses all of it. And and I'm telling you, it it causes me to, to live in an accelerated state. To to make sure because you know, could you imagine if you were going into a job interview? You know, would you not even look into the company you're applying with and just kind of blow it off and then just show up? No, you wouldn't. You'd want to prepare for that. Well, you know, when Jesus comes for his church, 
He's not coming physically to this earth. The rapture of the church will be caught up in the air to meet him. But the Bible says, and we'll talk about this, he has his reward in his hand. And so the first thing that happens to us, you know, while the tribulation period is starting down here, that last seven we, that last week of years or last seven years, uh, Daniel's 70th week, we'll talk about all this. But while that's going on in the earth, we will be standing before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Savior. And it's, a, it's the Bema seat. We call it the judgment seat of Christ. But the Bema seat, it's kind of a, it's a reward ceremony. And basically, you will, your, your works, whatever you've done on this earth, will be judged by fire, and whatever is left, you'll get great rewards for that. And so we want to prepare to meet him. And I've got to tell you, here's the way God is. You could have messed this whole thing up your whole life and get serious about it today, and God will see you through to the end. I'm telling you, you could yield all your fruit in your season He's able to redeem the time. I don't understand so much how. I just know it to be true. The word of God is very clear on that. Hallelujah. So eschatology is what we're talking about. Eschatology is the study of end times. Okay? Now, how much of the Bible deals with this subject? Between 27 and 30% of all scripture is about end time prophecy. Not a little bit. That's almost, you know, a little over a quarter to almost a third of the Bible. And most of the end time prophecy is about the time we are living in now. The time that we are living in right now in 2021 is the most prophesied time in in our lifetime. You could say this, if you look at mankind, and we'll look at this in more depth, But from Adam and Eve to Abraham was 2,000 years. From Abraham to the first coming, right? When Jesus came to this earth and was born in a manger, from that is 2,000 years. And then from the first coming to the second coming, which is at the end of the tribulation period, that's the last 2,000 years. There's there's a total, going to be a total of 7,000 years of human history. We are, and we know the last thousand years is the millennial reign of Christ when he sets up his actual earthly kingdom down here. Well, we are right, pushing right at the edge of that 6,000 years. The the 2,000 years between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, we call that the church age. It's the age of grace. God is not imputing or not accounting man's sins towards him. So if you have somebody prophesying, hey, you know, that earthquake happened and took out that country uh, because God was judging it, sorry. No, no, God's not judging. He's not, he's not, now that's coming. That's coming, but right now in the age of grace, God doesn't account man's sins. Isn't that amazing? So people who, who, who literally they might, they might yell at you in your face and say, I do not believe. Jesus is not my Lord. I'm an atheist. I'm whatever. Do you know God is not accounting their sins towards them? Do you know that their sins are not separating them from God right now? The only thing between them and God is Jesus. 
And that's why this is our message. Hey, give him your life. He died for you. He paid the price. That might sound so common to you as a Christian, but in those words is an anointing that will wake up the conscience of men. So 6,000 years of human history, and then we go into the millennial reign, and we are right at the edge of that, that right about at the end of that 6,000 years. Isn't that exciting? There are more people, what's really interesting, right now, I think the latest total is about 7.8 billion. I think it's like 7 billion, 830 million and so many. It's always changing, right? The, the earth is like a big airport, isn't it? There's departures and arrivals all the time, right? So, so there's people being born, they're arriving in the earth, but there's also people departing. As, we, as we've, from the time we've started this service, people have departed, people have arrived. But there's more people on the earth right now, right now, than if you took a picture, a snapshot picture today, of how many people are living, it would be more people than if you added up from Adam and Eve all the way up to. There's more people alive on the earth now than in all of human history. So end time prophecy, we're talking about the last 2,500 years. That's, that's the time of end time prophecy. It started with four major Old Testament prophets. Isaiah, right? Jeremiah, Daniel, and what's the last one? Last but definitely not least is Ezekiel. The next event that's going to happen right after the church is raptured out of here is spoken about in Ezekiel 38 and 39 in great detail. There will be a military conflict where a bunch of coalition of nations will come against Israel to conquer them, and in one day, God will protect them and be wiped out. I mean, it was amazing in the Six-Day War because literally this nation that was coming against Israel was, was shooting missiles into Israel. And they would shoot. This is, this, this is well-documented. They would shoot, and then they would veer off and miss. And they're like, okay, there's a wind, so we have to change the coordinates. And they got to the point where they said, oh my gosh, because these, these missiles were literally going up in, in 45 degree angle. And they're like, oh my gosh, God is protecting them. Well, that will happen in the Ezekiel 38 conflict. And, and all of these nations will be wiped out in a day. And, that, and then right after that, uh, you know, that's the beginning of the seven year tribulation period. So, I mean, could you imagine... Could you imagine all of a sudden, let's say there's a, they estimate close to a billion believers on this planet. You know, I, I really hope that's true. I want that number to be bigger tomorrow, right? But could you imagine a billion people disappearing? Just gone. And then all of a sudden, shortly after that, you've got this conflict. Now the thing about that Ezekiel conflict is for the first time in history, in history, actually culminating in just a few months ago, every nation spoken of is in the Middle East right now fortifying themselves 
every nation's in place, and even these Arab nations that, that literally would say they hated Israel are now, they have a peace treaty with them. And they're the nations that are listed in the Bible that would be at peace with them. So this is all, the stage is all set. It's really amazing. Now Daniel was one of, it's one of the most respected books in the Bible. And Daniel, the book of Daniel, or that scroll, would have been circulated for hundreds of years. And Daniel was written in about 530 B.C. Now Daniel's an important book, and we'll get into it. Daniel's 70th week prophecy, which really will help us locate. There's going to be a few things that you're going to see that you're going to see that, wow, we are living right at the end of this stuff. You're going to see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, I should, have, I should go get our shofar and have Sarah blow that because we're going we're gonna to hear that someday. It's amazing. Now, there's minor prophets that contain end-time prophecies as well. There's Zechariah. There's Zephaniah, right? And then there's Joel. And then this has grown to become, for the last couple years, my favorite, which is Micah. But guys, as your pastor, we must prepare ourselves to meet him face to face. He gave everything for us. Don't you want him to just be pleased when he looks at you and he has his reward with him. And that reward, all the crowns and all the stuff, what it does is it says everything that he was able to do with you and through you. We want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over this. Now in my eternal kingdom, I'm going to put you over this. Right? We want to hear that. The Old Testament... And the Gospels, they show us signs predominantly of the second coming of Christ to the earth, right? That, that's really the Old Testament and also the Gospels deals a lot with that. The epistles, you know, when you go into Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all of those, those predominantly is where we get, you know, First and Second Thessalonians, you're, we're going to live a lot there. 1 Peter, 2 Peter, these deal with the, the end time doctrine of the church, which deals with the rapture of the church. And so we're going to start to talk about the rapture of the church today, but in relation to everything else. So I, wanna, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is a passage of scripture, these first 11 verses that we might go in greater depth with, but I want to start because here is the first point I really want you to know is that this whole thing is to comfort and excite you. It's so important. We're living in a time, and, and we're going to see it in Scripture. It's really interesting because there's a word in the Greek in, in one scripture, and I, I won't go into it right now or I'll, get, I'll go down a rabbit trail that's, you know me. But the, the Greek word is, uh, there's going to be a departure. And it's the Greek word apostasia. 
And this Greek word is interesting, talking about our day, that during our day, there's going to be a departure. And you can, you can literally, you can take this Greek word and you could rightly divide it in context with it, it could mean a departure, the rapture. But this Greek word also, apostasia, means a walking away from, a departure, which means a departure from the faith. Now, if you study this Greek word, it's not a departure from the faith of, of true believers that are born again. It's, it's people who have, have mental assented, oh, I believe in God, and maybe I go to church, or I just believe Jesus is God, but they've never really been born again. You were going to see a departure. Now, for years, I never knew what that meant up until about five years ago, and especially it's been every year, it's been getting a greater acceleration. I've never seen so many people that, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, but there's literally no evidence. And many have departed. They're like, yeah, don't read my Bible, don't go to church, don't, but I, do, but I am okay because I do believe that Jesus is God. There's gonna be a departure. We're actually seeing that now. So, so we have to be conscious of these scriptures because one of the things, one of the great harvest fields in the earth right now, one of the great harvest fields in Omaha and these surrounding communities are people who have been in church, some of them for years, that maybe have never been born again but think they are, right? Or, or they, they are born again but they're frustrated and see, and can you tell a person that's born again and just lives like the world or somebody who says they're a Christian and title only is not really born again? You can't tell the difference, right? Do you know I'm your pastor, but if I start giving into my flesh, man, I could look just like somebody who doesn't, who's never known God, right? Amen. Have you ever done anything? In your life, don't raise your hand, right? Just look, just look straight ahead and go, well, what's he talking about? You know, have you ever done anything that doesn't look at all like a believer, right? Yes. I could ask that question, have you ever done anything this week? Maybe even this morning before coming to church, but we won't go there, right? Aren't you grateful that in the Gospels it says, pray that you might be accounted worthy But then in the epistles, it tells us that Jesus made you worthy. So as you're sitting here today, you're going, wow, I feel like a mess. But Jesus made me worthy. See, why, am I, why can I literally come boldly to the throne of grace? Because I've been made worthy by Jesus. I don't come based on me. One of the things you're going to see in Revelation chapter 4, right when John is caught up in the heaven and God literally gives him, he shows him the rapture. Well, there's a sea of glass like, like unto crystal, it says. 
Well, in the Bible, we know this. Whenever uh, the word sea or a body of water is mentioned, and it's not actually named like the Sea of Galilee, right? It always stands for a mass of humanity or people. And that's us. We're standing before the throne of God. What's amazing is at this event, Jesus is no longer even sitting. He's standing right in the midst. Isn't that amazing? It's, it's, it's new. It's a change. And, and so the sea is crystal. Do you know crystal is the only form of glass that you cannot hide a flaw so you're, that's, do you know that sea of glass when you read that in Revelation chapter 4? Do you know that's you? You're standing there. You could actually read about yourself in the Bible. Flawless. Well, are you flawless because we live so flawlessly? Do you know a spiritually mature person is perfect? But you know what that Greek word means? It does not mean flawless. It means adjust and repair. So we adjust and repair and, you know, thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. We've got flesh to deal with. But you are, your spirit man has been made flawless. If you'll renew your mind, you could actually, that flawlessness will start showing up on the outside of your life as well. But just remember, you know, there's some teaching out there that says, well, only those that are really serious about God and are really looking are going in the rapture of the church. Well, we're going to look at what Scripture says about that. Don't really care what your opinion is, but Scripture is very clear. If you're his child, you will be taken out. If you look at the reason why, Daniel's 70th week, the seven-year tribulation period, it's a week that God owes the Jews it's for the purpose of God's judgment is now being poured out in the earth for the purpose of bringing people to a decision. 2,000 years of grace didn't work, so now here we are at the end of this and people are going to know, right? Well, there's no reason for us to be there. It's called Jacob's wrath in Jeremiah. Well, or Jacob's trouble, which the word trouble means wrath. But we're going to see that God hasn't appointed us to wrath. Do you know you don't have an appointment for wrath? We've been through an interesting time for the last year. Did you ever think things were going to change that much last March? Right? Well, I'm here to tell you, could you imagine how it's going to change when the whole church is taken out of here? I'll show you in Scripture that the only thing that is holding the Antichrist back from coming, this world leader that's going to come and all this, all hell being broken out. The only thing that's keeping that from happening is the church. And, and when I say church, I'm talking about the remnant of believers. You're going to see this, that are walking in their authority. It's really important. Probably I, wouldn't surprise me at all if the Lord, because he's been stirring me for months now, that the next series we're going to do here is on the authority of the believer. Because you and I are to believe God for revelation knowledge. Like when you come to church, when you come to church, you are to believe God for revelation knowledge 
so that you can see some things so that now you can grow because there's a principle that Peter brings out. When you live out of your flesh, this is what you will have. Your attitude during this time will be this. Oh, they've been saying he's coming back forever. But there's nothing's going to change. That's the way it was in the day of Noah. But it's going to be the same way. But this event called the rapture, although he's coming like a thief in the night, that's to the world, not to the church. We are to know. We're commanded to know the season. But you know, the rapture of the church, do you, we're going to see some things about this. Do you know that this is the marriage supper of the Lamb? In other words, this is like our wedding day. I don't know about you, but man, I know my wedding day. You're going to know. We know it's close. As you live out of your spirit, it doesn't take very much spiritual maturity to know we are almost there. We're right there. You're getting ready to see your king face to face. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. We're going to look at this. We better look at it quickly here. Hallelujah. I, I toned this down to 16 pages of notes. And I'm on page 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now this is interesting. We learn from the book of Acts that Paul would have spent about three months at Thessalonica. It was the shortest period of time that he had ever spent at one of the major churches that he, that he started. But although he was only there for three months, he says, listen, of the times and seasons that I'm about to talk to you about, I have no need to write unto you. In other words, guys, you should be well-versed on this subject because we've talked about it so much. So Paul, even though he was only there for a few months, had to talk about this a lot. Paul sp spoke so much about this. In other words, he spoke so much about this that he considered them equipped in regards to the rapture, or you could call it the catching away of the church. He said, I have no need to write to you. And then it says, for you or for yourselves, verse 2, know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now he's talking about the rapture of the church. This day comes as a thief to unbelievers, but not, it's not to be as a thief to believers. You'll see this. Verse 3, For when they shall say, Peace, this Greek word means I'm secure, and safety, that, means, that word safety means prosperity. When they're saying, hey, I'm secure, I'm prospering, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Now, now, guys, this is we need to realize this is talking about where we're living right now. Man, there, there's going to be people that are just going to be like, you know, we're okay. Things are going well, and then bam. Everybody you know who does not know Christ 
is about to go through this period of time. I don't want anybody to have to go through there, right? It says, it comes, sudden destruction comes upon them, and then he likens it this way, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, I've never given birth. I've witnessed it two times, right? And uh, it, it doesn't stop, right? It just, it increases. Women have babies because guys couldn't handle it. Right? We'd be like, okay, I've got the answer. We're not going there. The human race would die, right? Right? I'll pay for everything. But man, I'm not giving birth, right? So it says here, it says, shall come on them upon a, as, as, a, as travail as a woman with child, and they shall not, and they shall not escape. It's the Greek word ek fugo. They shall not escape, ek fugo. This Greek word means to be rescued out of a place. They shall not be rescued out of a place. They shall not flee away. That's what this Greek word means. It literally comes from the root word in the Greek, which means to vanish. It'll come, sudden destruction comes, and they won't be able to vanish. Well, when you look at the rapture, we're going to be able to vanish. In other words, our Father, the Lord Jesus, the mighty Holy Spirit, the angels of God, he's going to use this and he's going to, actually Jesus is going to, as the voice of a trumpet, he's going to say, come up here. And we're going to be with him in the clouds. It'll be a vanishing. Verse 4, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. Say that, I'm not in darkness. Amen, amen. I, that you're not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, God expects you and I to have a working knowledge of the time and season of his return for the church. And this is why, as a pastor, when I started the church, I had no idea. But this is a big responsibility for me to convey these truths to you. And the Spirit of God is here to make it very simple, right? God, realize this, God is not a hider. He's a revealer. It's, it's never his purpose to hide anything from man. The word Jehovah, as I said earlier, it means the self-existent one who reveals himself, right? I, I love that about God. So, if you look at Paul's apostolic prayers in the epistles, uh, all throughout these apostolic prayers, these prayers that he prayed for saints, they were given so that why? That we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and that, right, that we would do what? That we would know his will, his specific will for our life the incredible inheritance we have, right? The incredible power that is pointed at us as we believe his word. The epistles were written for us to know who God is, to know what he has done, to know what he's doing now and what he's gonna continue to do. The whole plan of God, you and I are to know. End time, this end time time that we're living in, you need to be excited 
Now, you'll get fearful if you watch too much news. My desire for you today is that you start to get your news from the Word of God instead of from secular media. Right? Because this produces faith. You got to know, you got to know that your God loves you and that He's with you and that He's going to snatch you out of here. Right? But we've got a work to do before He does. I believe it's a quick work. It's really interesting. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, in Genesis 18, 17, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? No, he didn't hide it from Abraham. It's real interesting. Do you know that's, that's actually a type? Lot and his family, did you notice? The angels even said to Lot and his family, listen, I've got to get you out because I can't do anything until I get you out. That's a type of the church. We're not appointed for wrath. You're not going to be here in the tribulation period. Right? So what do we do? When you play sports, you know, I played basketball, and it got down to the last two minutes of a game, and you had a two-minute drill, which which meant you had a plan in place to score very quickly. We would go into something, full court press, into a half court press. We had a motion offense that was a run and gun offense. When we would go play at, at other schools in high school, they would change the nets to make them tighter so the ball would kind of stick before it would fall through to try to slow us down. It was, it was brutal when you played because when you went out for basketball when I was in high school, you know, the janitors had buckets for tryouts and there was a lot of people and they would just, you know, people would just quit because they're throwing up, they're, you know, it's disgusting. But by the time we started, we were in so much better shape because we would just run people in the ground. And during that two-minute offense, I mean, we were always looking at the clock. We had plays in place to do what? To score quickly. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit He will give you a plan on how to bear all your fruit in your season quickly. That's why, as a church, we want this to be a center where people can get saved, or people, most of the salvations are going to happen. They should happen outside the walls, and then people come in here and we grow them up so that they go out and reproduce, right? But a two minute drill, so we're always conscious of the clock. I live conscious that Jesus is coming very soon, that I am about to see him face to face, right? That's how I live my life. It's a focused plan where our eyes are constantly on the clock. So there should be in us an end time push. There's going to be a push inside of you. An end time, well, I shouldn't say a push because he doesn't, drive you an end time very strong leading for you to go do what god has called you to do at every age group god wants revivals in middle schools elementary schools high schools colleges he wants it in the workforce he wants it everywhere in every segment of society and the holy spirit has a plan 
right? And you're built for the plan. There is a tangible grace that's available to us to do what? To run our race and yield all of our fruit in our season. So verse 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. You are all children of the light, of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. This Greek word sober means let us watch and not be moved by our emotions. Boy, do we live in a time where your emotions could be moved very quickly, right? For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. How do you act sober? Putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. In other words, it's Ephesians 6. You're sober when you allow the armor of God, which is revelation knowledge of his word, to manifest upon your life. So as you walk in the word of God, you'll be sober. If you're not walking in the word of God, even though you're a child of God, you won't be, and your emotions will move you. Verse 9, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if you want an example, a great example of how God is not judging, do you know that in Nazi Germany, while they were killing six million Jews, that country prospered? That's kind of amazing. God's not accounting man's sins against them. Oh, the long-suffering of the Lord. Sometimes I don't understand it right up until I decide to look at myself. And then I'm like, oh, yes, mercy, long-suffering, right? Right? 2 Corinthians 5.19, let me just put that in your notes because this is a scripture. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and now he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. We need to go out and tell people, hey, listen, God already paid. You don't have to pay. Verse 10. I'll read verse 9 again. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Whether we're alive on the earth right now or whether we've went on to be with him, we're going to live with him. And then it says in verse 11, wherefore, comfort yourselves, look at this, together. This is why you've got to reach out to people that are not gathering right now because they need to be comforted and we need their comfort. Amen. We need their supply. I believe, God, that, that through that camera, those hungry hearts are pulling and that anointing is affecting them and their supply 
is affecting us, why we are the body of Christ. We comfort ourselves together and we edify one another even as also you do. In other words, this teaching should comfort you. So I want to take some time today and I want to talk about the timing of the rapture. I want to start talking about this. The first segment is I want to start talking about the feasts in Israel. So there were seven feasts in Israel. There were four spring feasts. There were three feasts in the fall. Now, open up your Bibles to Leviticus. Third book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Most likely that might be an area where the pages kind of stick together. But in Leviticus 23, I want you to see this. This is a real key. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 1. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2. It says something about these feasts. It says, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, concerning the feasts of the Lord. So God wanted Moses to speak to them concerning the feasts of the Lord, these seven feasts. Now here's the word feasts. It's the Hebrew word moed. Speak to them concerning the moeds of the Lord. The word moed literally means appointed time. Okay? God says, I want you to speak to the people about the appointed times, about my appointed times, the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Now, the word convocation is the Hebrew word, literally, it's the Hebrew word mikwah. It means a rehearsal, a dress rehearsal. God set up seven feasts set that were to represent seven appointed times that he had in dealing with man. And the feasts were holy convocations. They were rehearsals for, what would, for which what was to come. They were to reveal these appointed times. Now, this is huge. Even these are my feasts. These, God is saying, these are my appointed times. Now, God, as you see in end time prophecy, God is very exact. Now, you got to understand, there were 333 prophecies. 365 different parts of those prophecies all fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. Every one of them. He, his, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, all fulfilled all of those. Mathematical impossibility. But I've got to tell you, there's 600 prophecies on his second coming. He's very exact, and he wants people to know. God wants people to know that there's not much time. 
God's desire is that his body be used to reap a mighty harvest. So to do that, he wants you to show the world who Jesus is by the safety that you walk in, the health that you walk in, the fearlessness that you walk in, the provision that you walk in, the peace that you walk in. He wants you to literally show that to the world. In other words, you can't give what you don't have. God wants to move in your life, right? So these seven feasts in Israel were dress rehearsals. They were dress rehearsals for seven very specific prophetic events that would happen in the future, okay? First one, now, normally we would start with, let's do the four feasts in the spring and the three in the fall, but what I want to do, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all these, I want to show you how he fulfilled these. So we have to go back to the last fall feast, Okay, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And this feast takes place five days after, after the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Tabernacles, this feast represents what? It represents all that is perfected. That's what it's representing the Jews, and if you know an Orthodox Jew, this will happen, right? When Matt and I worked at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, do you remember Josh, right? So we, I had an assistant manager, Josh. He was an Orthodox Jew from New York. And uh, he, he came to work, and they were, they, were, uh, they were doing this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. And he goes, yeah. He goes, it's a little embarrassing when I go down to Lowe's and I'm buying all these materials, and, and they're like, what are you doing? Because he would have to buy these materials, and he would build a hut that they would live in in their backyard for five days, right? Or, or for seven days, I'm sorry. So, so, you know, this is what would happen. The Jews would live in huts during this feast to remind them of their wilderness journey. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles was all about. This is the seventh feast. It falls in the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar, and it lasts for seven days. Seven, 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 which is the perfect number of God. Okay? This feast represents 40 years that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, okay? Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for how many days? 40 days, right? If you, so, so literally, Jesus fulfilled this feast during his 40 days at the beginning of his earthly ministry, if you go, we know, if you go three and a half years from that fall feast, what happened on that day is Jesus would have literally been crucified. He would have went through three Passovers. 
And on that, and then he would have been crucified. So very exact. So Jesus fulfilled the Feast of Tabernacles with his 40 days in the wilderness. Got that? Then we go to the spring feast, the Feast of Passover, right? That's the first spring feast. We are about to celebrate that four weeks from today. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. When they, when they were slitting all of those lambs, when they were slitting all their throats so that their blood would be poured out, when they, all those lambs died in Israel as sacrifices, Jesus was on the cross as the Lamb of God dying, saying, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit at the exact moment. John chapter 1, verse 29. Here's Jesus right before he's going to go into the wilderness. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to him and he says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. At the feast of Passover is when he died. And he was, you know, he died right on that feast. Three days later, he came out of the grave. Isn't that amazing? The next feast, the second spring feast, is the feast of unleavened bread. Jesus fulfilled this. Jesus was buried during the feast of unleavened bread. Crucified on Passover, buried on the feast of unleavened bread. It's really kind of amazing, kind of miraculous, to be honest with you. Because the Romans... When they would crucify somebody, man, they wanted them to hang on a cross and be an example. They were the masters. They, I've heard they could keep people alive from anywhere from three to seven days of just excruciating pain and torture, humiliation, everything, to show the world this is what happens to you if you ever, right? Fear and intimidation. Do you see any of that? That's satanic leadership right? But Jesus had to keep an appointment. So he couldn't be on that cross. He didn't die the normal death. The normal death was suffocation. The normal death is you couldn't pull yourself up to breathe and you would suffocate. But Jesus, when the weight and of, and of all the sin nature and sin, sickness, curse, Isaiah said to look at him, you couldn't look at his body and even tell he was human. We don't know I mean, you know, cancer hit him, right? Every kind of bone disease, every leprosy. I mean, everything, all the spiritual weight of all the sin, sickness and disease, poverty and lack when it hit his body. And we know because they pierced his side. The Roman soldier thought he was dead, pierced his side to make sure, and blood and water flowed. And the only reason why that happened, medically they know, when Jesus, when all the weight, when he said it is finished, his heart exploded. He died a real unique death. But he had a feast to keep. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread is real interesting. They would take three pieces of bread. The middle piece, they would pierce it. Then they would fold it and break it. Jesus, or John said in John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? Home of the bread. 
God is exact, guys. Everything points. The God of heaven is wide open. Isn't it amazing that religion teaches, well, you just never know what God's going to do. No, 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 that's, that's, that's demonic. God wants you to know what he's doing. The Jews could not eat leaven for seven days. Okay? Leaven represents sin. Seven is the number of perfection. Why? Because Jesus perfectly removed sin and the sin nature from the human race. That's why he fulfilled that. So let's go to the next feast. Feast of first fruits. This is the third spring feast. Why am I saying this? Because you got to know this stuff. Because the rapture happens on a feast day. It's an appointed time. The feast of first fruits. Jesus was resurrected right on the exact day. Easter, when we celebrate Easter, that's first fruits. That's a moed. That's God's appointed time. The first fruits ceremony all throughout history of the Jewish, of the Jews, pointed to this day when Jesus would come out of the grave. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says this, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. He fulfilled that feast. That feast is fulfilled. But that was a major prophetic event. That was the fourth one that we're talking about. Jesus fulfilled those four. The next feast was the Feast of Pentecost. It's the last spring feast. Pentecost happened 50 days after first fruits. Well, what happened 50 days after Jesus came out of the grave? We call it the day of Pentecost, right? When, when the Holy Spirit of God came upon those men in the same way that he's come upon us who have received him, right? The number 50 means fullness and it means freedom. Now, this is what's really cool. The priests would wave two loaves of bread on the day of Pentecost. They would wave two loaves of bread in the air on this day of Pentecost. And they would wave them before the Lord. And what this represented was fullness and it was freedom. It represented fullness and freedom. It was literally considered a jubilee for the Jews. What does it mean? We know now it means that Jews and Gentiles coming together into fullness and freedom. Right? The day of Pentecost. 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was poured out. The next feast has not been fulfilled yet. It is called the Feast of Trumpets it is the first fall feast. This is a two-day floating feast. Now, it's real interesting. God does everything in a seven-year seven cycle. We're going to see why, why 
were the children of Israel taken into Babylonian captivity for 490 years. Because for 400, for all those years, see what, would, what God told him, he says, you work the land six years, but on the seventh year, it was a Shemitah year. It was a Sabbath year. You're supposed to let the land rest. Don't worry, I'll bless you so much in six years, you could take the seventh off. Wouldn't that be nice? Work six years, take one off, because you've got so much. Right? So, so the Jewish people, though, disobeyed that. And that's why they were taken into captivity for 490 years. That's why Jesus said, I say unto you, forgive? Oh, Lord, should we forgive seven times? No, 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 no. Jesus says 70 times seven, 490 years. See how it all ties together? If you'll just dig a little bit. So in Daniel's 70-week prophecy, see, when Jesus was crucified and came out of that grave, the time clock stopped. It's exactly 69 weeks of years that Jesus showed up. Now the 70th week, God still owes the, the Jewish people the 70th week, and that's the tribulation period. So this is interesting. This year, 2021, is a Shemitah year. It's the seventh year on the cycle. Okay? So... This year, this, this uh, feast will start at 6 p.m. The days with Israel, they run in the Bible at 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. So on Monday, September 6th, at 6 o'clock in Jerusalem, Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets, will start. And it will end at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, September 8th. Right? I believe, now I should say this. I'll have to say in my opinion because I want to make sure that, now I, I can't, personally I can't see how it, the rapture doesn't happen on this day. I mean, I guess I could be wrong because boy, there's so much that I know I don't know. But guys, this is the next feast to be fulfilled. It's real interesting. It's called the Feast of Trumpets, Right? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 16, let me excite you with these scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump, now this is a big one, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verses 51 to 53. Now, we're going to look at these scriptures again in detail. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The word sleep means those are people that have died and went to want to be with the Lord. Not all of us are going to die and go to be with the Lord, but we're all going to be changed. Notice it doesn't say almost all of us are going to be changed. It says all. If you're born again, 
you will be changed. I don't believe you're going to see death. I believe you're going to be changed. That just gives me goosebumps on top of goosebumps. In a moment, how will we be changed? Verse 52, in a moment. This is the Greek word atomos. It literally means it's so small, it's an indivisible amount of time. So instantly, you're going to be going about your day. I believe there's going to be a sense because we just know. And then all of a sudden, we're going to be with Jesus. Wow. It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when? At the last trump. So keep this now. Keep, keep, keep thinking about this because I want to show you the Feast of Trumpets. This happens at the last trump. Okay? For the trumpets shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. In other words, everybody who's now in heaven that has went home to be with the Lord, they are a spirit being. They don't have a physical body, but they look just like they do here, just a lot better. Right? But they're going to be getting a, 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 their physical body back. They're going to get their body back. Now think about that. You died 4,000 years ago. Where in the world is your body? You know, I don't know. But God's going to bring it all back. It says right here, they shall be raised incorruptible. In other words, all their DNA, all of those particles will come. God will bring them all together, but their body will now be incorruptible. I love that because, man, that means, you know, you could probably eat something and, and it's going to be okay. Right? That, that means if you stub your toe, it won't work. It won't hurt. I mean, Jesus had a glorified body. He could walk through walls. But he ate fish. So what, did the fish change inside of him? Because when he walked through a wall, there wasn't a bunch of fish. Right? And then he said this, he goes, handle me and see that I am, he didn't say this, he didn't say, I'm flesh and blood. No, he said, I'm flesh and bone. What is going to be your life force? Is it going to be blood? Because right now the life of the flesh is in the blood. No. Glorified body, the life of the flesh is the glory of God. They'll be raised. So what happens now at this last trump, the de- all, the, all this stuff, their body meets them in the air and we are with them. Right? The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal, right, must put on immortality. Now, in the Feast of Trumpets, there were nine sessions where the priest would blow the shofar or the trumpet 11 times. Just different times throughout this two-day period, he would go out and blow this trumpet 11 times. That's 99 times. But then, at one point in the feast, he would blow the trumpet louder and longer, and that was the hundredth time, that was the last trump. That's when it's all going to happen. Right? Now, 
This feast was also called Rosh Hashanah. It's the Jewish New Year. Do you know at the rapture? Everything becomes new. Everything. Guys, there's a change coming. I can't, English just, I can't say this enough. There is a change coming. Hallelujah. The feast was also called Yom Teruah. This means the day of the awakening blast. I wonder if that would fit the rapture of the church a little bit. Right? The feast was also called <clears throat> Yom Hadin. This was called the day of judgment. Trumpets were associated with judgment. It, it's, it signifies the judgment seat of Christ. That's where we're, we're not judged for our sins because our sins are gone, right? Our works will be judged, and it's actually a reward ceremony. Revelation 22.12 says this, and, for behold, or, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. Now, I love this one. This feast was also called Yom Hazakaron. Yom Hazakaron. It means it was a day of remembrance. Do you know the rapture of the church is selective? God remembers all that are his. All of us are there. Every one of us. Isn't that amazing? Jesus remembers everyone that belongs to him. This feast is also or was also called the wedding day of the Messiah. Wow. The feast was also called in Jesus' day. It had a slang term. It was called the day which no man knows. Mark 13, 32. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. This is the next feast to be fulfilled. Hallelujah. Remember 1 Thessalonians 5, 4? But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you. Hallelujah. Now, the last feast was called the Day of Atonement. That's the second fall feast. This is also called, you might have heard this term, Yom Kippur. This feast takes place 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets. What will fulfill this feast? The second coming. The second coming will fulfill this feast. Why? Because Jesus brings an end to sin and brings in everlasting righteousness, which is what the Day of Atonement is. There's only one feast that has not been fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. So the next major prophetic event to happen in your life is the rapture of the church. And we're going to get into these scriptures because I want you to be well-versed in this. I want to encourage you to, to, to take some time, listen to this again, outline this, underline these scriptures, be, be able to teach this to people. The age of grace is coming to a close. The tribulation is about to start. It's time to come to Christ. It's time to put the word of God first.
See, there's prophetic signposts that are telling us that we're living in the last days. We're living in the season of his return. Never, never in human history have we until now been able to look at tangible, physical things that tell us that Jesus is coming back. And we're going to talk about some of those. Israel becoming a nation. Jerusalem being taken back. There's so, the Hebrew language being restored. I mean, there's just so much. What do signposts tell you? They tell you that you're on the road, don't they? And they also tell you how close you are. This is not to catch us off guard, guys. Well, I hope this blessed you a little bit today. We're going to get into this. It'll build you up. It'll help you.